Thank you, Michael. You're welcome. I'm Sebastian Smolash. <laughs> uh, okay. I bring you greetings from the saints in Wrocław. Uh, brothers and sisters there, we are a small church of 46 members and several, several regular visitors to our church. So we, we hope and we pray that the work would grow, that, and also we believe that the work is going to be like uh, through generations. So uh, although the beginnings may look small, we, we pray and trust and work faithfully so that the nation of Poland would be blessed in the, in the next, well, it depends on your eschatology, but I would say 98,000 years. Amen. <laughs> yep. So, today we will look at the book of Haggai. And I just repeat just two verses that, uh, that were read already, but let's start there. Haggai chapter 1, and we start from verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. Let's pray. Our good God, our loving Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We come uh, as those who need your help, who need your spirit to open our eyes and open our hearts, to turn our, to, to tune our hearts to your word, that we would live lives that glorify you, that we would live lives of wisdom that comes from you, so that we would be truly your workers for the same of the kingdom because you called us not to live to ourselves but to you and to the glory of Jesus Christ in all the earth. We ask for the grace and the help of the Holy Spirit now as we turn to your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. I just put my time count here. We'll see how it goes. I remember that reading many commentaries on the book of uh, of the Haggai on the book of uh, Haggai, I came across the opinion that the book is monotonous and and boring. So I sup I suppose those authors who had problems with identifying the interpretative key to the book. In my opinion, this short text, just 38 verses of the whole book has a very strong and fascinating message. So let's start from the beginning, the book of Haggai. I pronounce it Haggai as it is in Hebrew because Hag is a festival and I is like pronoun meaning my, yeah? It's like my festival. It's, that, that's the meaning of, of, the, of the name of the prophet, my festival. God delights in festivals when his people have festivals to, to his glory. 
You know, actually, when you read the New Testament and the Book of Acts, there is a governor called Festus, governor, governor of Judea. And the meaning of his name is similar. It's festival. It's a feast. So we have quite a lot of feasts in the Old Testament. And actually, in order to understand the message of this book, the context of the book, we need to know that this book is placed on four, well, four occasions. You know, the prophet comes to the people on, I would say, four or three occasions because he comes twice on the same day. <laughs> we'll see soon. And, and he comes on particular festivals Israel held that year, the year 520 before Christ. That was the year. So, first time the prophet appears and he speaks to the people, it, it is in 1-1, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to the, uh, by the hand of Haggai to the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and so on. So it is, it is the first day of the sixth month. This would be by our calendars like... Um, the end of August, 520 BC. Uh, but in their calendar, in their religious calendar or liturgical calendar, uh, this is the day of the new moon festival. This is like the start of the, of the new month. And every time, you know, they uh, celebrated the new moon each month, well, they were expecting, behold, God wants to bring in something new, new hope for new strength for his people. Then the second appearance of the prophet happens, let's see, to one. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. So we have here 21st day of the seventh month. According to our calendars, this is mid-October. 520 BC. This would be the end, the last day of a, the greatest feast for Israel, the Feast of Tabernacles, when they gather for the whole week together. Do you like gathering for the whole week together with God's people? Going on family camp for seven days? Mike? How is it going? <laughs> So that, that, was, that was the greatest festival in the, in the year. It should be the most important festival in Israel's life. And then the third appearance of the prophet come, comes, let's see, 2.10. 2 verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet. So 24th day of the ninth month. This is middle of December for us. But for them, it was the eve of Hanukkah. Have you heard of the Hanukkah festival? Now it's more known as a festival of lights, but that was like a, a later development in, in the history of Israel. Right from the start, this festival was the festival of the temple's dedication. Yeah, so that, that festival was held to remember that the, the temple was dedicated to the Lord. And with this festival, the, there came the promise that the ultimate temple 
would be more glorious than the previous one. The eschatological temple would be more glorious than the previous one. And then the prophet appears again the same day, as we read Haggai 2.20. Let's see. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. So again, if of Hanukkah, the prophet promises this time that the descendant of David, that's Zerubbabel, is a descendant of David, will become a signet ring, which means a cylinder. In the Old Testament times, you know, if you had a signet ring, it was like a cylinder you could put on a, on a rod or something like that, and you could actually make an imprint on a wax, for example, of your sign, of your image. Yeah? So this is like a pattern. He's, he's making an imprint of a pattern for all the faithful ones. His image, we may say, his representation will be imprinted on their lives. So we have three festivals, four appearances of the prophet with his message. So let's turn to a bit of historical context now. 18 years earlier, Israel came back from exile to Babylon. They had to experience something of, of the punishment for their prolonged disobedience and rebellion. They had to suffer for 70 years until, until the old generation died out. And they could return now after those 70 years thanks to the decree of Cyrus, the king of Persia. But as they return and they start rebuilding the temple, they start rebuilding the altar, altar first, they start, start experiencing hostility on the part of Samaritans. Who were the Samaritans? Do you remember? Second Kings chapter 17 tells us that once the kingdom of Assyria attacked the northern kingdom of Israel, they like settled there five different nations. So in Second Kings 17 we read, and the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kuta, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. And at the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. So the Lord sends lions to eat them. Come on, that would be something to see lions, you know, running around. Uh, and, you know, we read later in this chapter, but every nation, every, each of that five nations uh, still made gods of, of its own. So they believe, in a sense, in Yahweh. They were worshipping Yahweh, but there was like a religious syncretism. But they, every nation still made gods of its own and put them in the shrines on the high places. And the Samaritans had made every nation in the cities in which they lived. The men of Babylon made Sukkot Benoth. The men of Kuth made Nergal. The men of Hamath made Ashima. And the 
uh, Avites made Nibhas and Tartak, and the Sepharvites burned their children in the fire to Adramelech and Anamelech, the gods of Sepharvaim. So they kept worshiping their, the gods of their ancestors. Yeah, that is the problem. That is a huge problem. Now, the remnant of Judah starts rebuilding the temple. They came back from exile. They were cleansed, purified by the fire of the Lord during the punishment. Now they, are, they set up to build the new temple. And those guys, Samaritans, they, they come along. And they say, we will help you to rebuild the temple. And, the Jude, uh, and, and, uh, and those who built, they said, no, thank you. No, thank you. Yeah? Zerubbabel the, uh, Josh, and Joshua, the priest, and the heads of the clans answered, you have nothing to do with us in building a house of, to our God. You can read about that in Ezra 4. We will not go there now. So, whether you're right or not, would you like a help of somebody if, you have, if your task is hard? Well, I would say yes and no, because you don't want help of certain people. You really don't want help of certain people because those people were unfaithful. You know, come on, would you like to build your church together with the unfaithful? The liberals in Seattle? Those who commit the sin of religious syncretism? Would you invite them over to Mike on, on your board, the church board? And no. I think no. <laughs> Very good. So, and of course, what happened? The Samaritans, they got offended by that, and they made Persian, Persian authorities stop the work on the temple altogether. The pause lasted for 17 years. And actually, when we read the, the beginning of we haven't read those verses, but you can read them back home. When they, during those 17 years, they started doing their own business, building their own houses, you know, they, decorating the, the, their own houses. They stopped. They stopped. So, one general ap application now could be that more often than not, when we start building something for God, something good and holy to the glory of God, there is an opposition. There comes an opposition. You know why? Because someone does care to discourage us. There is someone, somebody who does care to discourage us. Let's remember this. There is Satan wants to stop us from doing good to God. Israel was small at that time. Only Park has returned from, to their homeland. Uh, they were not so numerous. Uh, they did not have a king. They were occupied by the Persians. So, well, in a sense, we can understand, humanly speaking, they were discouraged. And that's why the prophet comes and the first admoni admonition comes on a new moon, something new, something new. And it's quite interesting what the prophet tells them. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. I don't know if we knew the Bible very well. We should, that should actually ring 
the bell, the bell right from the start because God doesn't call them my people. <laughs> he calls them these people, <laughs> these people. I mean, it's not that he's not committed to them, but in a sense, you know, if you don't follow the Lord, if you are not focused on his kingdom, you are just, you are not fully his people, I would say. You are not fully his, his people. But on the other hand, you know, there is admonition, admonition that they, they are not his people, but on the other hand, he encourages them because he says that he's the Lord of hosts. That's an old name. That was the name that was well known several centuries before. You know what it means, the Lord of hosts? It's the Lord of the armies. So the, the prophet says, you need to remember, although you are small and perhaps you feel insignificant now, you need to remember in the past when David was weak and had to fight against Philistines. Well, you have to fight against the, those obstacles the Samaritans put in your way. But remember David. The Lord, the Lord's angels, they fought for him, marching in the tops of the balsam trees. That's in 2 Samuel 24. And remember when the Syrian army tried to capture Elisha, the prophet. There was a vast army of horses and chariots of fire around him. And the prophet prayed that his servant could see that. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And he saw the big, the big army. So we need to remember this because the Lord is the Lord of hosts. We live in times when Christ's faithful church is under attack. And we need to realize that there is a powerful God, God, God of armies, the Lord of hosts, standing for the faithful ones. We may be discouraged by small numbers, as we sometimes are in Poland. And we may be discouraged by our lack of power in this world. We can be scorned by all liberals of this world. But the promise is that the Lord is with his people, with his church. The only question is, are the people with him? He's always to himself. And we are his people, so are we faithful to him? And now we come to the central point of the book. Actually, this is, this is something that close, comes close to the to this title of this, of this sermon. The central issue of the book is this. Do you build the temple? Do you build the temple? Is this thing the center of your life and efforts? And my question to you, this is the title. What is the center of your home? What is the center of your home? Yes, there are external obstacles. Yes, there often is discouragement. The repatriates focus on their own houses and on their own lives in face of the opposition. We all want to survive, don't we? We just want to live a quiet life. Actually, most of the men, I believe, they, they worship the cult of what, what we say, holy peace. I just want it peaceful. 
I just want it peaceful. Oh, wife, leave me away. You know, leave me alone. I, I just want, I just want peace. I'm watching football game now. <laughs> we want, we all want to survive. We don't, we don't want to get involved. All, well, I, I suppose many of us. So they rearrange their priorities. We read in verses four and five. It is the time for you yourselves to dwell in your personal houses while this house lies in ruins. Yeah, you have considered way. You, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your, your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. Yeah, you focus on your, you, you, you strive, you, you, you work hard, you want more money, that's okay. But your priorities are wrong. That's why you lose. You don't, you don't have those things really you are striving for. You, you put your efforts towards obtaining. So bad priorities may weaken your relationship with God. If, you, if your priorities are wrong, then you are just these people, not my people, in a sense. So the question is, are you committed to building the temple? When I say this, are you committed to building the temple, I don't mean that now you should, I don't know, buy a piece of land there and go and build another big cathedral to worship at. But we need to remember that in the Old Testament, the temple was architectonic, I think I pronounce it more or less correct, architectonic picture of God's people. You know, the temple pointed to God's people. That's why we read in the letters of Peter that you are the living stones of the new, new temple. That was the picture of what we are. We are the church. We are his people. We are his temple. Come on, this is the book of Revelation. Have you, have you read it? Good, good. And this, well, means just more than place for worship or a society, community of people. Building the temple is being always ready to pull all your lives to worship God. God at the center and our giving glory to him who is in the center. Look what happened after the first message by Haggai. So he came, he gave the admonition, he said, you are these people, not my people, but the Lord is the Lord of hosts. Trust him. You are weak, you are discouraged, but he will bless you. So we read that on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of King, King Darius, they started rebuilding the temple. So the mat, the, who is good in mats? How long did it take them to repent? The prophet came on the first day of the month. They started rebuilding on the 24th. How many days? Yeah, very good, Mike. 23 days. So, was it short or long? I think, I think they repented earlier, actually. But we need to remember the time. It was the time of late harvest. The Lord was so gracious that he waited for them because they had to go in the fields and, and take the, the rest of the harvest. The Lord didn't mean to, for them to waste their lives. I mean, they waste the, the whole year. So he was graciously waiting for them. 
I don't know, to 23 days, uh, well, after the prophet spoke, they started rebuilding, rebuilding the temple. So, and the next address to the people when the prophet comes is at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. And I believe personally that this Feast of, of Tabernacles is central, central to the message of the book. We will soon realize that the, the meaning of, of this festival that was the central festival of Israel's religious life. We read about it from the start of verse uh, chapter 2. It took place at the end of harvest. So, that month, they came to Jerusalem. They celebrated the Day of Atonement first, which was attached to the Feast of Ingatherings. The Feast of Ingatherings means simply that they came with their tithes from the, the whole year. They brought their tenth to the Lord. And that was followed all by the, this seven-day conference. Yeah, seven-day celebration. You, you just put up shelters, boots there, and they were arranged around the temple, actually. So this is the meaning. Each Israelite family should have built a shelter of branches and leaves to live in it the whole week. Why? Because this was to commemorate the fact that their fathers lived in tents surrounding, actually, the big palace tent of their king in the wilderness. So when we read the beginning of the book of Numbers, we see that they marched through the wilderness like there was this tent in the, in the center, surrounded by the Levites, Levites, and on each of the four corners of the earth, so to speak, there were three tribes each. It was like cross. So they, they were like marching in the wilderness on the pattern of the cross with Judah leading them on the east. But all, the, all their tents, they were facing the tent. Yeah, their houses places where they lived, they were focused on the, the big tent of the king, yeah? And of course, there comes also uh, this symbolism that they built those, those tents of trees, of, of branches and leaves. Why? Because we can say, well, that, that is like reference to the, to the beginning, to the, the garden of, in Eden that there were many trees around one tree of life, their God. Yeah. Huh. So each, each of the booths uh, was temple-centric, temple in the middle. And ever since that all happened in the wilderness, once a year they were to repeat that. But that is not all that we can say about the feast of uh, the, the festival of tabernacles, because it also had two other very important meanings. And I want you to, well, like realize if we go to the book uh, of Numbers, Numbers chapter 29, what they did. Listen to this. They offered the whole set of 
sacrifices each day, and I, I know many of us who read about sacrifices, we don't have clue what they are about. But look at the same pattern, it repeats itself each day. <coughs> On the 15th day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation, so the, the feast begins. You shall not do any work, and you shall keep a feast to the Lord seven days. And you shall offer a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And now, 13 bulls from the herd, two rams, 14 male rams. And a, well, I will focus maybe another occasion if Mike invites me again uh, on all those sacrifices. But here I would like to, well, mention that, look, there are 13 bulls. And on the second day, they have to offer 12 bulls. And on the third day, they had to offer 11 bulls. And on the fourth, 10 bulls, and so on. And on the seventh, the last day, they had to offer seven bulls. So, again, maths. When is your maths exam, guys? That's cool. Well, too early, huh? So, together, when we, when we add those, those sacrifices, it comes to the magic number of 70. And 70 is actually always from the beginning, from the 10th chapter of, of Genesis, is the symbol of nations. There were 70 nations after the flood, 70 nations of the, of the earth. So actually when they came with their sacrifices that, that week, they were praying, they were offering, they were mediating for the nations. That was, that was the missiology of the Old Testament. It wasn't putting any, any mission committee or something like that. They just, you know, they just prayed, they sacrificed. Uh, they offered sacrifices for the nations. That's, we all are called to go and make nations, the disciples of Christ, yeah? That's what they were supposed to do. That, that's, that's a picture for us, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, hallelujah, amen. And the second thing that uh, we see here is in Deuteronomy 31 and Nehemiah 8. Deuteronomy 31 and verse 9, it starts. Then Moses wrote, wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of, sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and to all the other elders of Israel, and Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, you, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and even the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God for seven days, each day. And as we read in, in Nehemiah, Nehemiah, they were sup to, supposed to read it and hear it each day. It was, it was a huge Bible conference those seven days. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. 
And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns in Jerusalem. And so on. So they, they started doing that. They stopped doing that back in the times of Joshua. They were already on the slope of being backslidden and so on. They were, they were going down. But they remember now. And they should come together for the whole week to celebrate, to worship God and to listen to his word. So this festival, festival of tabernacles, is the best single picture of what an Israelite should look like. Each house, each of the tent organized around God's house. Yeah, people, I know, people often want to do it uh, other way around. Oh, I will come to the church when my baby grows, like a couple years. Oh, I may come to the church when the fishing season is finished. Or the hunting season, whatever. Yeah, come on, priorities. What's the most important? What is the chief end of, of man? So, we need to organize our lives, our homes, around the tabernacle, not the other, other way around. So God now promises that uh, he's with those who seek his house first. Coming back to Haggai chapter 2. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. Does it ring a bell? At the beginning of Exodus, chapter 3, verse 12, God says that to Moses. I will be with you. You shall go out of Egypt to serve me. And what does serve mean in that context? Well, we read in Exodus 5.1, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. That is to serve the Lord. Well, to have worship. That is, that is the central. To have worship is to serve the Lord. Liturgy. Oh, such a strong, strange word. It just means service to the Lord. That's what it historically meant. And what happens next in the book of Exodus? When they reach Sinai, they receive the law. And the rest of the book, guess what? It, what is it about from chapter 25 onwards to, to the end of chapter 40? What is it about the rest of the book of Exodus? It's about the temple. <laughs> yeah? yeah? That is the main focus of the book, the temple, the worship, how you should build it. What sort of leaders you should have, and so on. And the temple, let's remember, is what? An architectonic picture, symbol of God's people, of us. So it's about building God's people, eventually. And in Exodus 31, we read that God filled the builders with his spirit. And you know what? He does similar now. He's filled you with his spirit. 
Why? That you might speak in tongues. No. <laughs> that you would build his temple as families, as worshippers of God. That's your chief end. So the Feast of the Tabernacles is one, the very, one of, and, and the very important event in Israel's life. And I may tell you, now maybe you will be surprised, but this feast, Feast of the Tabernacles, is one very important event in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel. John uses the temple, the tabernacle imagery to speak of Christ, to speak of Christ, to speak of Christ's incarnation. Remember John 1.14, everybody remembers the introduction to the gospel. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Jesus is the new temple. Yeah? Remember? The old temple was in the center, and now Jesus is in the center. And you want, and you would like to direct your homes, your lives toward him. From the north and from the south and from the east and from the west. You want to face Christ, and you want to live in his presence, in his face. And then in chapter 7 of the Gospel of, of John... Jesus came to Jerusalem, and there was a festival. And I now you ask you a very difficult question. What festival? Which festival? Guess. Yes. Yes. And in 737, we read, on the last day of the feast, and we know from the book of Haggai which day this is of the seventh month, The great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Here is he, the tabernacle, the new temple in the middle of the people, gathered in Jerusalem. There is this old temple up right there. But he's the new temple. He's in, he stood. He stood in in midst of them, in the center of them, and he cried out, "I am the new temple. <coughs> Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water." What is this living water about? I hope you do remember chapter forty-seven of the prophecy of Ezekiel. It shows us the uh, river flows out from beneath the throne of God and it goes out of the temple and it's, it becomes deeper and deeper and deeper and it waters all the trees that are on one and, and the other banks of, of, of the river and the leaves the trees have, have you know nice juicy leaves and they are for healing of the nations so now Imagine, this water is Holy Spirit. It's, it's the life-giving water. And who are the trees? We are the trees. And the leaves are our works, is our acts 
in gratitude to the grace of God, to the grace of the Spirit. We are here to heal the nations. We are to be a tasty, juicy fruit, the leaves that heal the nations, yeah? So, Jesus speaks of that water, and the water is spirit. And the believers receive the spirit after Jesus was glorified. Thus, Jesus promises on the greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles that all those who turn their tents toward him, their houses toward him, they would arrange their tabernacles around this tabernacle. He will bless this world through them by his spirit. So if you focus on worshiping God and on his temple, on building his temple, that means the church, your fellow brothers and sisters, you will be a blessing. You will be a blessing and healing to the nations. That's the promise. So? Is that your priority? Or do you prefer to put up new tiles in, in your bathroom? <laughs> I mean, you can do that after you come back from worship service. <laughs> I don't mind. I don't care, seriously. <laughs> but, you know, come to the worship service. So do you gather for public worship and is God central to your tent, so to speak? Do you seek opportunities to be with the church and to sit under the authority of God's word, like those people did during the seven days? The conference, remember the conference. You need to come to our conference, which lasts for nearly seven days. I invite you. Please come. I will have to find a bigger venue. <laughs> <laughs> so do you pursue all the opportunities to be with God's people and to sit under God's word? Okay, that's almost the end. But still, there are three important promises connected to, to this, to the central theme. Yeah? I said the central theme, theme of the book is actually building the temple. Where is the center of your home? And if you make God and his temple, and I mean Jesus, Jesus is the tabernacle, and we are tabernacles, small tabernacles, facing him. And you focus on that, on God and, I mean, on Jesus and his people. When you focus on that, there are three important promises Haggai makes. And let's just look at that and, and we will stop, okay? Just briefly. <laughs> when the temple, which means Christ and his church is central in the lives of God's people, they start experiencing great works of God. God starts shaking nations. God starts shaking, begins shaking nations that they would support the temple. You know, we often think, oh, why those governors of our country are so much against the church? I would say, because we are unfaithful. They turn against us. God turns, the, God turns them against us. Why? Because the church worldwide is unfaithful. So let's begin with being faithful, okay? And look in Haggai chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. 
And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. And then uh, 21 and 22. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and the riders. And the horses and the riders shall go down, everyone by the sword of his brother. Brothers, sisters, when we start worshiping God, he's doing the rest of the work. It's like the Jericho, the Battle of Jericho. Well, what they did? They worshiped God for seven days. Let's do that. We want to see the wicked governance being overthrown, put down. That's where it should start. Second point, when the people turn to the temple to build it, to support it, I mean to the church, to Christ and the church, they are blessed in their lives and in their possessions. Look. Chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Consider from this day onward. You started building the temple now. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that, that the foundation, they laid the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. There is winter, no longer harvest. But those things, you will, you will not lack them. I will bless you. You know, cannot Lord, div- well, feed thousands from five loaves and fishes? Yes, he can. Focus on his temple. And the third point, the final. When people turn to the temple and they are committed to the temple, the new Zerubbabel, I said, he's going to be a signet ring, a cylinder. So the new, the final Zerubbabel, who is Christ, he will be imprinted on us. So when we turn to the Lord, when we turn to Jesus, God is using this signet, Jesus, to imprint his image on us. What does it mean, our homes, where we live, our, our lives start looking like him? Because we, you know, we have this imprint on us. This pattern actually hardly, you know, squeezed and we are real like him. We become like him. And he's our prince of peace. And that's why our lives, our homes, and our churches experience constant blessed peace amen let's pray heavenly god we thank you for this reminder that our lives should be focused on you in your temple on jesus christ and his church we ask and we beg you that we never ever forget about this we we ask that you would bless our homes that they would be that they would turn constantly to the temple and that we would seek you and your kingdom each day of our lives to the glory of kingdom and to blessing of our life. Amen.